We're, we're back in Acts chapter 2 this morning. I purposefully separated the beginning of the chapter, Pentecost, from this because I wanted to give attention to both and, and give a chance uh, to look at both. So last week, my good friend, brother in Christ, co-pastor at the previous church, Brandon Hanks, was with us. I listened to the sermon when I was driving back from St. Louis, and he, uh, he did an excellent job uh, talking about Pentecost. If you haven't had a chance, I'd, I'd highly recommend going back and listening to that on our podcast or, or website, really some really good insights into into the story. Um, I want to give a little bit of a review from two weeks ago, just for how do we read Acts? How do we how do we encounter the scriptures uh, when we're engaging the Book of Acts? So the true title, probably the best title for the Book of Acts, is the continuing work of Jesus through the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which is really long, which is why we call it the Book of Acts. Um, the book of Acts is the second part of a two-part work. Luke and Acts were written to be together, and only after a uh, hundred years or so of church history were they separated like they are. Um, and then in the canon, when the canon was developed after, I don't know, 350 years or so of, of Christianity, that's when uh, they got the place in the New Testament they, they have now. But they are meant to be read together. Luke, straight into Acts, and you can see they're both addressed to Theophilus. And um, in Acts, he says, in my first book, I began, I told you of what Jesus began to do and teach. So the implication is that the book of Acts is about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Now, how did Jesus continue to do and teach? Through a spirit. Through a spirit, through the Holy Spirit. This is, this is why the book of Acts is the acts of the Holy Spirit through the believers, the continuing work of Jesus. And the lens that we're looking at the book of Acts through is specifically this, this statement that, that constantly listening for ongoing discernment. So we, we uh, in 2018, continue to need the Spirit of God to speak to us just like the believers in the early church did. We need Jesus to speak to us as much as they did. Amen? Amen. You need the Word of God in your life as much as those first believers did. Am I right? You with me? The decisions that we face daily, the decisions that we face collectively as a church, we must, must hear and discern the voice, the will of God. So the question is, is God still speaking? Is God still speaking today? Does God still speak? I think many of us would academically say yes to that, but practically have no clue what, what that even looks like or means. And that's the whole point of going through Acts. Um, it is one of my deepest convictions in life that God speaks. God speaks. Listen to me, you, you have heard lies in your life and in the world that God is done speaking. He is not done. If he were done speaking, you would not exist. If he were done speaking, there would be nothing. We exist, we live, we breathe, we have life, we have purpose, we have meaning, we have joy, we have mission, because God is speaking. Which means we better be listening we were designed by God to hear his voice, to listen to his word, to engage him day and night, to walk with him in such a way that constantly his word is ministering within us, which is the role of the Spirit of God. Jesus said, all the things that I'm telling you now, the night before he died, he said to his disciples, John 14, 15, 16, 17, read it. Jesus says to them, it's better that I go so that God can send the Spirit 
because the Spirit's going to teach you and apply and live within you and teach you all the things that I said. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, recognizing the fact you can't understand what I'm saying. You need God's spirit. You need my spirit to dwell within you to teach you the meaning of what I'm saying. So some key questions for us in 2018. That's a little small. I, I apologize for that. Or, or how, how does God speak to his people in 2018? I, I believe that... Um, there are five key ways. There, there are other ways that God speaks. These are the five key ways that scripture lays out. And we've talked about this in previous weeks. He speaks through his Holy Spirit. He speaks through the scriptures. He speaks through the community of God. He speaks through Christian service. When we serve God, we encounter him and we hear him in unique ways. And he speaks through our experiences um, and, and engages us in our experiences. And, and experience must be uh, submitted to the word of God. But experience is important. And when you say it's not, you're, you're cutting off a vital part of walking with God. So let me, let me give you an example of that. When, um, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in the Philippines for seven years, from when I was nine to 16. And uh, the last year and a half I was in high school, I was going to a boarding school in Manila, uh, Faith Academy. And Faith Academy is in the city of Manila. And if anyone's ever been to Manila, it's one of the most polluted cities on earth. Um, and you can't see the sky. Day or night, you can't see the sky because there's so much smog and so much pollution. You never see a star. And um, the, the week that we were going to move back to the States, I was really sad. I was leaving my family or my friends. We were m- <laughs> moving in the middle of December, so I was going from living in the tropics to Missouri winter, which is not fun. I was going from a small Christian private school where I knew everyone to a huge public school where there were 600 kids in my class, and I was scared, and I was concerned, and I was worried about this transition. And so um, the, the, the school was built up on a hill, and I sat up on one of the balconies, and I was just, like, really sad, and I was just praying. I was scared. I was worried. I, I was asking God to be with me, and, and I said, just kind of in passing, like, to the Lord, like, oh, man, it would be so cool if I could see some stars tonight because I'm sitting up on top of the hill looking down over millions of lights in the city of Manila. There's like 22 million people there into Manila Bay and I could see all the lights of the boats and I could see all the lights of the city. It was beautiful, but nothing in the sky. So I just prayed, prayed, Lord, I would would love to see some stars. And um, I I had my eyes closed and I I looked up and and the, the sky was clear. It was the only time in in the two years that I, that I lived there that I saw stars, but the, the sky cleared and there were stars all above and all below. Now, that's an experience. My relationship, my salvation n- is not dependent on that, right? Like that, I'm not saved, I'm not going to heaven, I'm not like rescued. But that was important. Like that was really important for me as, as, a, as a 16-year-old kid to have that experience where the Lord answered that prayer and there was these stars and it was beauty and it didn't change anything. I still went through what I went through. It was still really hard. But that moment, that experience was important and I could, I could draw on that later when in lonely times and hard times. Remember, like, remember when I showed you the stars? Like when you asked for it? Like I'm that present in your life. So experience is important. Experience is important, but it must be submitted to the word of God. Otherwise, we're going to start a cult, and we do not want that. So key questions. How are the people of God called to make decisions? What role does the spirit of God play in discernment? How did the early Christians practice discernment? How did the early church make decisions? What role does prayer and the word of God play in spiritual discernment? What role does spiritual community play in discernment? We should be asking these questions. Here are some principles I gave for interpreting the book of Acts while we're walking through it. 
Uh, Luke contains both descriptive and normative elements. Remember me talking about this a couple weeks ago? So not everything in the book of Acts is meant to be forever. Some of the stuff is, that was for them at that time. But some of the stuff in the book of Acts is for all people at all times. How do you figure out which is which? That's the question. That is, the, that is a difficult interpretive question, but it's important. So to determine what's normative, in other words, to determine what's for us today in 2018, some key things to look for are repetition, surrounding context, and the full testimony of the scriptures. So look for what's repeated in the book of Acts. Look, look for what happens again and again. Look for the context of the stories and, and look at what the rest of the scriptures testify to. For instance, this morning, in the scripture we're going to engage, it says that they all gave all their goods and they shared everything in common. Right? You remember that verse we're going we're to read in a few minutes? The, the early church, they all put all of their stuff in a collective basket. Is that descriptive of who they were supposed to be or are all Christians supposed to live like that for all times? So it, that would be descriptive. That's, that happens at that one place. Nowhere else in the New Testament does it command uh, the, the church to live in that way. Are there principles in that we should learn from? Absolutely. So these are, these are key things that we need to keep in mind when engaging Acts. All right, uh, something that is normative, and we pointed this out in the first week, which was two Sundays ago, um, that word devoted, that the disciples were devoted to prayer. This, is a con- this, this word is used in that same context multiple times in Acts and throughout the New Testament. Paul writes in Colossians 4 to devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. That means if you and I, as members of the church of Jesus Christ, are not devoted to prayer, we're out of alignment with the Spirit of God, and we won't be able to hear his voice. If we're not devoted to prayer, we will not hear God speak, clearly. We're to be devoted to prayer, fully given to prayer. As we read and study Acts together, I would invite you and challenge you to practice listening to God's voice and discerning his will with others in the body of Christ. One more quick experience that comes to mind. Um, this was in Drexel Hill, and uh, we, had, we had a very small church there, and so you noticed everyone who visited. We had a, a man who came in one Sunday, and he was obviously distraught and sad, um, but I was preaching when he came in, and he left when I was done, so, uh, so no one had a chance to interact with him. But I, I remember where he was sitting and what he looked like, and um, so I prayed for him, and then kind of, you know, it passed my mind. He was, there was no way we could talk to him. The, the next day, I was sitting in my, uh, it was my day off, and I was sitting in my um, dining room reading, and my house was the parsonage next to the church, and something in me, as cl- like as clear as I'm saying this right now, said, get up and go outside, now. And I was reading, and I was like, no, <laughs> like, like, I was just going to run outside, and it was like, get up and go outside right now. So I set my book down, and I walk outside, and that man's walking by, like right in front of my house. And, um, so I go running down and chase him down. We had, we had a conversation. God wants to speak 24-7. He wants to be able to interrupt us when we're reading. He wants to be able to interrupt us when we're sleeping. 
He wants to be able to, not, it's not interrupting when God speaks, right? <laughs> like that's not interruption. And furthermore, think about this philosophically for a second. Anytime you talk to God, he's the one who started the conversation. It is literally impossible for man to start a conversation with God. Every conversation that man has ever had with God or anyone has ever had with God, he started. Which means he's waiting. And he too is listening. He too is longing to have conversations with us. So let's devote ourselves to speaking and listening to the Lord. All right, Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 37, which Brandon uh, covered the end of this, but I left it in there for context. This is the end of Peter's sermon uh, after, after uh, Pentecost. So right after Peter uh, gives this sermon, verse 37 says, Peter's words pierced them to their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, your children, and to those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. So this promise, the promise of baptism and reception of the Holy Spirit was for those first believers— it was for their children, and it was for us, all who were far away, who were called by God. Verse 40, then Peter continued preaching for a long time. I like that Peter didn't include the rest of that sermon. He kept going for a while, apparently. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. All right, this is that same word. Proskartereo. Everybody say, proskartereo. That was weak. <laughs> proskartereo. All right, good job. So it means to adhere to one, uh, to, to be steadfastly attentive to, uh, to continue all the time, to persevere and not to faint. This is that word in Colossians 4.2 where Paul said, be devoted to prayer. This is the word that was used when it said in Acts chapter 1 that the apostles and all gathered in the upper room were devoted to prayer. And this is the same word that occurs here. And it says that they were devoted to four things. Four things that the early church was devoted to. And I would, I would, uh, <clears throat> I believe that this is normative for us. These four things. These are the same four things that we today uh, as a local church, following after Jesus Christ, listening to his voice, these are the same exact four things that we are to be devoted to. So what are they? Apostles' teaching. So that's the New Testament teaching, the interpretation of the Old Testament. The Apostles' teaching to fellowship. This is uh, the famous Greek word koinonia. Um, that, that word has lost a little bit of its meaning in our culture because there's, um, I think, I could be wrong, 
but when I was taught koinonia, it was sort of like everyone's kind of happy together, feeling good, spending time together. That's not really what koinonia means. Koinonia, um, at, th- at the root of what that word is, is having a goal and going after it together. That's, that's at the center of what koinonia fellowship is. It means you have a vision and a purpose and a goal, and you're going to do it together. That's what koinonia is. So they're devoted to koinonia. They're devoted to pursuing wholeheartedly the mission and the call that God has put on them. So that happens together. Yes, there's fellowship in the sense that they had coffee together sometimes, um, but a much deeper fellowship than, than just that. It was a fellowship of purpose, a fellowship of, of mission and goal. So they're devote, devoted to teaching, excuse me, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, which this translation, the NLT says, uh, including the Lord's Supper. It's probably just what that meant. They were devoted to the, taking the Lord's Supper together. And they were devoted to prayer. These are the four things. We've already seen prayer mentioned, uh, that devotion concept. So these are the same four things that we hear uh, today in 2018 at Parker Ford Church, and every church is to be devoted towards. So I would encourage you um, to look at those four things and think about critically your own life, your family's life, um, your friend, your friendships in the church, and, and think about Parker Ford Church. I'm, I'm inviting you the body of Christ, let's think critically about this and see what, in what ways are we not devoted to the Lord? In, in what ways, perhaps, in our local context, what's missing? What's missing? Or, or what needs to be strengthened? Um, these four things should be in your own life. You should be devoted to these, these four things. We, we should be going after teaching and learning. We should be going after Koinonia Fellowship, pursuing the mission of God, the purpose, uh, the family of God. We should be participating in, in remembering the Lord's death and resurrection, and, and we should be devoted in, in prayer to the Lord. These things should be, should be present. I, I would suggest that if these four things are present, you're going to have a pretty healthy church. If these four things are, are truly present, you're going to have a, you're going to have a healthy family, a, a health, a healthy walk with the Lord, because you're going to be in His Word, growing. You're going to be constantly talking to Him. You're going to be walking to Him in forgiveness at the foot of the cross through the Lord's Supper and reconciliation. And you're going to be in the community of God, pursuing what God has called you to do. Isn't that cool? How that all of that is contained in this beautiful little thing that that they were devoted to these things. Why did, why did the church have such power? <laughs> why, did, why, did it go, why did the gospel, the message of Christ, go forth with such, such power and precision and accuracy? Because they were devoted, they were looking at the right thing. Their hearts were turned towards the, the right thing. It's not to say they were perfect. We're going to find that out throughout the book of Acts. And anyone who's even sniffed 1 Corinthians knows that, that they're far from perfect, the, the early church. But they were devoted to the right things. And we're to be devoted to these same things today. Verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them and the apostles performed many miracle, miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their pr- property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, 
all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So I already mentioned the sharing of property. One thing that's interesting to think about, um, this happened in the the first generation of the Church of the Brethren back in Germany. They did the same thing. They, they uh, shared everything in common. Um, so there, there's a question as to whether or not that actually caused poverty in the long run in the church. Remember when Paul then took the offering uh, two times for, for the poor believers in Jerusalem? Um, it could be partially because they had given everything away. Uh, they, they had, had shared and, and given everything. This is not a critique of them. I'm not saying what they did was wrong. I, b- I believe that they were walking in obedience to the Lord. But it, it is interesting uh, to think about that, that then later the church has to support them uh, in Jerusalem. And partly that was because of the of wars going on and, and various other circumstances. But it's interesting. Um, they worship together, it says in verse 46, in the temple each day. So they're going to the temple. They're, they're still very much considering themselves good Jews. The, the Christians, the first generation of Christians thought of themselves as Jewish, not, a, not as a separate religion. They thought of themselves as, as living out the true covenant of the Lord. And, and what's interesting is the Pharisees also thought of them as Jews, just as heretical Jews. So they were agreed upon the fact that they, they were Jewish. And this is partly why Paul was so zealous, well, Saul was so zealous to kill them and to snuff them out because he agreed they are Jews, but they're Jews living out their faith in the wrong way, which caused more and more anger among the Jewish people. So they did not think of themselves as non-Jews. And in fact, when they were uh, proselytizing or sharing their faith, they were inviting people into the Jewish faith. That's how they, they saw it. It was only much later in the story that their identity was separated uh, to view themselves as, as a separate um, religion. So they're going to the Jewish temple and worshiping the Jewish God as good Jews um, every, every single day. They're, they're going and worshiping there. They're also meeting in homes for the Lord's Supper. So in one another homes, uh, they're having that last supper, just like Jesus had told them. Whenever you do this, do this as often as you do this, as often as you're gathered around a table with fellow believers. When you break the bread, when you, when you take the cup, remember the Lord's sacrifice. Remember his body broken, his blood poured out for you. This is, this is something I, I've been praying about in my own family, and um, this is just a thought that I've had, but when Jesus says, as often as you do this, I, I wonder, like, you know how we give, like, a token prayer, like, when we sit down to eat? Like, and, and some people don't even do it because it's like, why am I doing this? And then you feel guilty and bad that you didn't do it and whatever. Like, as, as often as you do this, I, I've thought about the fact that every time my family or guests or whoever is sitting down, we should, we should, we should be breaking the bread and, and remembering Christ. Like every, every single meal should be a communion celebration, remembering what, what the Lord has done for us. And I think this is what they were doing as, as they were eating together, as they were meeting together, sitting around the dinner table, they were saying, this, remember what Jesus said? Like as, as they're eating their, their pizza and, and tacos and whatever else they were eating back then, um, they were, they were saying, this is, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ poured out for you. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. 
I'm convinced that the primary way, I'm not convinced. I'm pretty sure. I'm thinking about this. I've been thinking about this for a long time. One of the primary ways that love expresses itself, the first thing that love wants to do in expression is gratitude and joy, which is this word. Like when you really experience love or, or for someone or receive it, the, the initial first response is, is this. It's joy and generosity because you want to share it. If, it's, if you've really truly received the love of God or the love of someone else, you want to share it. Um, you want to give it away. All, all the while, it says they're praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. That word goodwill is uh, mostly translated as favor, but it's favor and grace are the same word um, in Greek. So, so it's that they're, they're sharing in the grace. When people see them, there's favor, there's, there's grace, there's goodwill. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. All right, as I was praying this week, about this passage. I wanted to share that stuff that I just shared, um, but this is where the Lord led me. So I'm going to move uh, into some reflections on the church. That's, that's well and good to look at what that looked like in 2018. What in the world does that mean for us today? How, how, how do we apply this? What, what does this mean? Um, what's important for us today? So here's some reflections on the church and, and what the church is. The word church is never used in that passage, but clearly it's, it's the beginning of the church, the gathering, the ecclesia, the, the people of God in fellowship, koinonia, uh, working out the things that God has called them to. So here's some reflections on the church. The church is a means to an end. It's not the end. The end of all things is not the church. The end of all things is the kingdom of God and the new heavens and the new earth. And in this spiritual age that we live in, between Christ's uh, ascension and his return, the way in which the kingdom of God advances is the church. It's the means to the end of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? All right. So in other words, what God has called us to ultimately build and partake in and be a part of is the kingdom of God. And by being a part of the church in this age and being faithful to the call of being a part of the church, we are doing, uh, we're being faithful to the call to contribute to the kingdom of God. The church is a means to an end. It's not the end. I know that's kind of confusing, but it's important. Because what God has called us to ultimately in eternity is his kingdom. When the dwelling place of God shall be with man, and heaven and earth become one thing. They're no longer separate. They're, they're, they're one thing. That's, that's the fullness of the kingdom of God. So the church is a part of the kingdom. And as members of the church, engaged in the church, we also are engaging in kingdom work. All right, the church is universal despite all appearances. It is. This is how God sees his church. When God views his church, he sees a church. He sees his people, one body. This is Ephesians 4, right? One God, one Father, one Lord, one body, one spirit, one baptism. And Jesus prays, how will the world know that you are mine? He'll know because you'll be one. And the world will know that I am the Father's and the Father's is mine and will give glory to the Father because you all are one. This is difficult because when we look out, that is not what we see, right? When we look at the state of the church, it is divided and splintered and fractured and uh, bifurcated and divorced from itself and uh, hurting and broken, thank God (laughs) that he sees things his way and not our way. Our job is always to stop seeing things our way and see them God's way. 
So when we view the church, despite all appearances, we must agree with God, not agree with man. So how does God view his church? He views it as one body, one Lord, one God, one kingdom. So we too must view the church in the same way. That's, that doesn't mean that we agree with things that are anti-scriptural or don't, don't glorify Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But, but what I'm saying is, is this is not the kingdom of God right here. <laughs> this is a piece of the kingdom of God. Praise God that, that the kingdom is not bound to just this right here. It is beyond what we can imagine. It's beautiful. The countless numbers, it says in Revelation. All right, this one's really important. You cannot love Jesus and reject his body. Or put another way, you can't tell someone, I love your face, but I hate your body. (laughs) Right? We are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. There's this fad in our culture that says, I'm cool with Jesus, I just want to follow Jesus, but I want nothing to do with the church because they're hypocrites. Guess what? You can't. You can't have Jesus without his hypocrites. You can't. You can't have Jesus without his family. You can't go to someone. Someone tried to do this with me. <laughs> they, they were infatuated with my leadership, and they wanted a relationship with me without my family having any part in it. You can't do that. You cannot separate Christ from his body. So as frustrating and hard and difficult as it is to live life with me and you and the person next to you, if you're going to follow Jesus, that's the way it is. (laughs) And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. And God, God will work it out. You can't love the head and hate the body. You cannot love Jesus and reject his body. All right. And then clearly we don't have it all figured out. Any, any church, local church, any leader, any pastor, any teacher who teaches in such a way that they have a corner on the market uh, in revelation of God, flee from that. Run from that. There are mi- Paul, who knows the Lord as intimately as anyone, writes, the mystery of godliness is beyond expression. In 1 Timothy three sixteen, great we confess is the mystery of godliness. There are mysteries and that's okay. We don't know exactly what heaven is going to be like or the new earth. We don't know exactly how God is going to make all things new and that's okay. There's all sorts of questions we don't have the answers for. This is the state of living in the liminality of today. I use that word for my wife. It just means in between space. We live in an in-between time when Jesus was here and issued the beginning of his kingdom but has not yet fully consummated it. All right, these are reflections on the church. So then the question becomes for me, and I, I felt like this was important for this morning, what is the gospel? So what, what is the koinonia mission, the, the thing that we are chasing after, the thing that we are pursuing, the good news of Jesus Christ? What, what is the gospel? Many of us received a gospel that was bad news to bad news. I received this when I was a child. And, and very lovingly, people gave me this, this message in the church I grew up in. But it was bad news to bad news. What does gospel mean? Good news. So the bad news to bad news was this. You're sinful. Bad news. You live in a fallen earth. Bad news. You're going to die. Bad news. And you're going to go to hell. Bad news. That's the gospel. Good news. What? That's bad news to bad news to bad news to worse news. Oh, and here's your get out of hell free card if you pray this prayer. 
That is not the gospel. Listen to me, church. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. You've effectively eliminated Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. You cut off the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible. Because when God created, what did he say? It's good. And then he looked at the people he created and he said, it's very good. So the beginning of our story is not bad news. It's good news. Does it include bad news? Absolutely. Has sin infiltrated every nook and cranny of our beings in this universe? So much so that we need Jesus Christ with everything in us. Yes. But the start of the story is good news. When God created, he looked at it and he said, it is good. It is very good. God created and his creation is good and very good. And we should do our best to care for it. Another lie I was handed, totally innocently, but if your view of the end times and your view of God is the world is bad and God's going to destroy it and judge it and it's all going to burn anyways, then you're not going to care for it. You're not going to care for creation. You're not going to care for animals or pollution or anything else. But if the world is good and God actually wants to redeem it and remake it, and he looks at it and says it's good and he looks at us and says it's very good, then we actually have the responsibility to care for the world. And, and yes, souls are the most important part of that. But it's also important to take care of animals and birds and trees. We were given dominion not to dominate, we were given dominion to represent God. Let me say that again. We were given dominion not to dominate. We were given dominion to represent God in his good creation, which means he's called us to redeem creation. We should be caring for the world. We should be caring for thi- things around us. And I want to be careful how I say this. I know I'm in a rural Pennsylvania. I, I'm, not, I'm not promoting the gospel of tree-hugging. I'm I'm saying that we should care for creation, just like God does, as his children. All right. So what is the gospel? God created, and his creation is good. God spoke through prophets, judges, kings, and and, uh, set apart for himself a nation of priests. So he calls Israel, and in the Old Testament, they're in the Psalms and in Isaiah especially, and then other places, over and over again, a repeated theme is, I want the Gentiles to come and be a part of this. So when God called apart for himself a people, it was not so that they might have the exclusive corner on the truth. In fact, they were meant to share it. And that's one of the great thing, grievous things that didn't happen was that the Gentiles were not called and ushered in to this. All right, third thing. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. So God not only wants to talk, he loves us so much that he became a person just like us. In Hebrews, it says that he was tempted in every single way. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, giving us the example of true and perfect humanity. So we can look at Jesus and see what humans are supposed to be like. When we say, oh, it's just my human nature, we're giving an excuse for sin. Shame on us. Shame on us. Because when God created our human nature, he created it in his image to be very good and a reflection of him. And so Jesus is the truest human. Jesus is the one who is actually a man. Jesus is the one who showed us what it's actually like to live. 
to really truly be alive, to really truly be a human being, Jesus is the example. And so we too should embrace our humanity in God's design, not our flesh. We should not, we should not give, give our flesh what it wants, but we should be fully human because that's how God made us. God doesn't want you not to be human. Stop trying not to be human. He wants you to be fully human, just like Jesus. He wants you to be like Jesus, fully man, also fully God. That part's different for us. But we were called to be fully man, fully human, fully, fully made in his image and walking it out. All right, Jesus was crucified. He was innocent before both God and man, but bearing the sins of all men upon himself. We are to love as we have been loved, forgive as we have been forgiven. This is a crucial part of the gospel message. God created the earth. It was good, but it fell. And it has infiltrated and saturated us so that we too are sinful and broken and fall short of the glory of God and cannot attain to his goodness, cannot reach his glory. We have all fallen short. God looks and searches the earth and finds no one righteous. No, not even one. We are fully broken before the Lord. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. Mother Teresa, fully broken before the Lord. Hitler, fully broken before the Lord. Fully sinful, fully in need of a savior, fully in, de- in need of, of redemption. No one can work their way to God. No one can be good enough. No one can do that, can do enough penitence or serve enough or do enough good works. It is impossible. It is impossible. Sin has infiltrated us to the deepest of our cores. And this is where the story is desperately sad. And yet God became a man and took upon himself all of that. And the cross is the great leveler of all humanity. And so, friends, no matter how you view yourself, you and I stand the exact same, naked before the Lord at the foot of the cross, as does everyone else. There are no levels. There's no, he only needs this much redemption, she only needs this much, oh, she needs a lot of redemption, he needs a lot of, no, it's all full. All of us fully in need of a Savior, 100%. Every nook and cranny of our beings. The cross levels it all out. Jesus took upon himself all the sins of the world. God poured out the wrath that we deserve upon him. Jesus rose from the dead. Though he was crucified, he rose from the dead and ascended into the heavens and is seated victorious with the Father. We are not victims. We are victorious in Christ. I read this, I've heard this repeatedly and it is so sad. It is so sad. In America, the group that feels the most persecuted, in other words, when they perceive themselves, they feel the most persecuted, is evangelical white Christians. Let that sink in for a moment. Think about the racism, the sexism, the brokenness in our culture. The people that perceive themselves as the most persecuted are evangelical white Christians. Why? Man, we love our comfort. God forbid anything should change, that we would lose our comfort. The first 300 years of Christianity is suffering. Every single person, persecuted, suffering, driven, about. That's that's the call of, uh, the cost of discipleship. Why why, why I'm saying this is, we're not victims. (laughs) It doesn't matter if the culture changes against us. It doesn't matter if government 
goes to hell in a handbag. It doesn't matter. Your identity is in Christ. It's not in the U.S. government. Your identity is in Christ. It's not in the weapons of men. It's not in the flag of the United States. Praise God that we live in a place that we can do this. And praise God we live in a place where I can even say this about our government. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful. I've lived in places where it's much more difficult. So I know. But thank God that our identity is not wrapped up in government of this world. It's wrapped up in the kingdom of God. We are not victims. So don't act like it. No matter what changes, don't don't act like a victim. You're not. You're victorious and set free in Christ. You stand before him confidently as a child of God filled with his spirit. Jesus sent his very and actual indwelling Holy Spirit to seal the hearts, souls, minds, and beliefs of his followers with his presence. If your view of the Holy Spirit is something lesser than that Jesus Christ lives inside of you, You have a mistaken view of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, victorious, raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, indwells you with his Spirit. So live like it. Believe it. Grasp that. Hold that. Rejoice with everything. That should rock you to the core. I may have said this before, but it, it... shaped me in such a key way. I had a professor in Bible college who said, you should walk down the street thinking the Son of God lives inside of me. You should walk down the street. You should wake up from your bed. You should drink your coffee. The Son of God lives in me. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved in this life and in death. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There is, there is no one who is too far or too broken or too sinful or too deceived. Whosoever, whoever comes to the foot of that cross and says, there is no way forward but you, Jesus. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Justification and salvation have past, present, and future results, which means when I come to the cross, he, rem- he forgives what was, what is, and what will be. Justification immediately. Immediately we stand before God justified. So when he looks at me, he doesn't see DJ with all his selfishness and arrogance and pride. He sees, he sees Jesus. And when he looks at you, it's the same at, at the cross. Wh- whosoever. Salvation is both present and future. We're saved today, we're saved tomorrow, we're saved the next day. So often in scriptures, it ties salvation with suffering. Romans 8, we're saved, but we'll suffer. But we're saved. Jesus has promised that before this spiritual age passes, he will return again. We are to live and wait expectantly and obediently. He is coming. He is coming again, so live like it. God will make all things new. This is the really, 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 really good news. God will make all things new. The end of our gospel message is not that the earth is going to be bundled up and thrown into the burning fire. The end of our gospel message, the good message, the, the message of the scriptures, Revelation 21 22, read it. Behold, I make all things new. A new heaven, a new earth. 
the dwelling place of God shall be with man to the extent that they'll no longer need the sun or the moon or the stars because the the light that will emanate forth from the throne of God will be so bright. Heaven and earth are separate dimensions and we can't see heaven. This will be an age when Jesus knits them together fully so that everything we see is both heaven and both earth. He will make all things new. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So, in light of the gospel, what is the church? It is the current manifestation of the present and coming eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is a means to an end. It's not the end. It is the current manifestation of the present and coming eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. In light of the gospel, what is the church? It is the body of Christ which collectively reveals a much fuller picture of his character. If I'm in relationship with Patty, I see a piece of God's design. If I'm in relationship with Patty and Natalie, I see a fuller picture of God's design. If I'm in a relationship with Patty, Natalie, and Cordell, I see an even fuller picture, and so on and so forth. It is the body of Christ which collectively reveals a much fuller picture of his character. It's not a building, a 501c3, an institution, or a program. Never once in the New Testament is the church mentioned as any of those things. It is, this is what, this is what the New Testament calls the, the church. These are the pictures from the New Testament. Family, flock, temple, body, and bride of Christ. I love the church. I want to give my life to her. I believe in the church. Uh, I believe in what God is doing in the church across the earth, across the world, in our, in our local context. And, and I'm thankful for these things. I just packed a whole bunch of stuff, a whole, whole bunch of theological things in, into this one thing. So I would invite you to engage one of the groups this week. Go back and engage these scriptures on your own with your, with your friend, with your family, with, with your spiritual partner, with, with the co-disciple. Continue to chew on these things. If there's one thing I could leave you with this morning, it's this. If, you're, if your understanding of the gospel is bad news to bad news, it's an incomplete picture of who Jesus is because he is a very good God and very loving God. That's not does not mean that there's not bad news in there. There is. But the gospel is good news to good news, not bad news to bad news. God created, God redeems, God indwells, God renews, God recreates. That is good news. Amen? That's very good news. The other thing I would leave you with is this. If your view of the Holy Spirit is less than God Almighty lives in me, you need to do business with God. If the Spirit of God does not have the power of Jesus Christ, like the view of him, and the same reverence and awe and belief and love and dedication and obedience, then, then that needs to grow and expand because it's less than what God intended. It is, it is the very Spirit of God living within you. Praise team, can you come up? I'm going to pray and just invite the Lord to seal this, speak these things to us.
God, I thank you for, for your church. I thank you for your church in St. Louis, where I was last week. I thank you for your church in Drexel Hill. I thank you for your church in Philadelphia. I thank you for your church in the Philippines. I thank you for your church, God, here at Parker Ford. I thank you for Parker Ford Church, this unique expression of the church, this local body here with, with our unique set of gifts and and our unique personality and our, our struggles and the things that that are broken. God, here, I thank you for the story. I thank you for the identity and the calling that you've put on Parkford Church. I pray, God, as a local church that we would be dedicated to the apostles' teaching, the New Testament, the scriptures, the Old Testament, that we, we would be dedicated to the word of God. God, I pray that we would be dedicated to Koinonia Fellowship, going after your mission. God, going after the purposes and kingdom of God. God, I pray that we would be dedicated to breaking bread with one another, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would be dedicated to prayer, that we would be a people dedicated to prayer. I pray that we would be a people filled with your word and filled with your spirit, constantly talking to you, communing with you, urging one another, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds evermore as we see the day approaching. God, I pray for those in here this morning who are visiting. God, I pray for those in here this morning um, who you're speaking to in a unique way, God. Um, perhaps have never heard the gospel presented in a way where it's good news. God, I pray um, for each of us to know you in that way. Certainly to, certainly to bring our sins uh, before you. Certainly to find reconciliation, redemption, justification in the cross and the suffering of Jesus through acceptance of, of, of his work on our behalf. But also to see your example and your love. Also to care for the world and the people around us. Also to go after um, the souls of our friends and our loved ones. To, to speak to them and draw them and beckon them into the family and the, the calling in the kingdom of God. Lord, we love you. We love your word. Help us walk faithfully with you and apply this to our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.